0: Thank you for tuning in to the Living Truth Church podcast. We're glad that you're here. If you'd like more information about Living Truth, you can check out our website at livingtruthchurch.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, but the best way to connect with us is through our Living Truth Church app, which can be found in any app store. Now for a message from the Word of God. We hope that God uses this teaching to impact your life.
1: Anybody, uh, don't raise your hand about this, but um, this is Sunday, so... For any of you, was Monday the last day that you brushed your teeth? I mean, that's gross, right? I didn't even think of that. I mean, you got to brush your teeth if you're going to go get out there in public and be around people because you don't, at least you don't want your breath smelling bad, much less everything else that's going on there, right? So I, I say that because somebody recently sent me a text and said, Hey, look, I've got no one to turn to, things are happening in my life, whatever, and I've prayed. Let me just, you know what my response to that was? keep praying. You keep praying. It's not like you prayed. I I think a lot of us, we think I prayed for that one time and that's that. Like God's like, you know, it's magic genie or something like that. You keep praying. Prayer is work. Prayer is something you do every day, all the time. You know, I I know when I, every now and I'll text of hey, pray for you today. A lot of times, I mean, I don't text you every single time. I mean, we're praying for you all the time, right? I know you're praying for me. And uh, so keep praying. Let's pray. God, we love you and we trust you, Lord. We know right now as we meet, there are people, marriages are struggling. We know that people are waiting uh, for organ transplant. We know that people are still battling COVID. Lord, we know that people are having surgeries, we know people are recovering from surgery. We know that people are, we know stuff is going on in people 's lives right now, Lord, yet you 've got one job for us as followers of you, Lord, is that is to be who we are in Christ and to leave the rest up to you Lord. I pray that this morning you 'll put the calm in our storm you 'll speak to us, and Lord that's a, you'd use this message if there's somebody this just happen to come in here today that does not know you as savior God. I pray that they will hear the word and hearing the word I pray that it will get land in their heart and they'll take next steps God. Lord, we're desperate for a word from you for many reasons this morning. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right. So um harvest time. We're, we're in the middle of uh, Revelation and uh, we're, I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel here. We're finally, today we're going to finish up on this interlude that we have been in uh, recently from chapters 12 through 14. And uh, <clears throat> So we see this. The end of all the chaos is coming. Will we agree that our world's in chaos? Yes. Just nod. Yes, we know. Our world is in chaos. So We know this. That the scripture gives you this understanding that the end of all chaos All chaos is coming. So the question is, are you ready for it? Are you ready for the ending? Um, The end of all the injustice is coming. Are you ready for it? A true and righteous king is coming. Are you ready for him to get here? Come on. I'll be like, amen and all that. Come, Lord Jesus. That's right. The rapture of the church will take place. All heaven will break loose on earth. It will look like the beast and Antichrist are taking over, but these are just leading up to something. It's harvest time. It's time for Jesus to bring in the harvest. Our main text today is Revelation 14, 14 through 20. And if it sounds like it's a little fire and brimstone today, because there's a little fire and brimstone in all right? Uh, it says, verse 14, it says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with the golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Jesus' favorite title for himself was Son of Man. So all likelihood points to Jesus being the one that's sitting on the cloud And you can find that in Daniel 7 13 and Matthew 26 64. While I'm not going to read all those verses to you, every now and then I'll throw a reference in there so you can write that down. All right. The Son of God, excuse me, the Son of Man is the one who oversees the harvest because he is the one who sowed the good seed. Matthew 13 37. He's pictured wearing a golden crown, a victor's crown, which makes perfect sense because in the end he is the one who wins. Justice will be served as Jesus receives his crown of gold, the the victor's crown, compared to the horrible crown of thorns that he had to wear right before he was crucified. And in verse 15 we read, And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. When angels come out to complete a mission, that's a sign. So we're reading in Revelation, an angel pops out, that's a sign, something about to happen, all right? So it's time. The hour to reap has come. God's patience has finally played out. Yeah, I Use that word instead of worn out because God doesn't wear out, right? Some of y'all's kids wear you out. (laughs) <laughs> think y'all wear God out? Uh-huh. But you know what? You can't wear a God out. That's the difference. It plays out. It's, you see, it's time for man to face the music. Go, if you go dance all night, you got to pay the fiddler. Anybody heard that one? Anybody my age? All right. Hey, you got to do that. The great, well-documented patience of God for sinful men to repent comes to a close. So let me say this. You, you can read that in the Bible. It's well documented that God is very patient, right? It's, it's all in the pages. But look at your own life. It's well documented, isn't it? God been patient to you? I mean, a lot of us all be scared when a lightning storm comes up, right? Is that for me? You know, I mean, really. And it's not, again, it's not because his amazing grace runs out. That's awesome. But he knows that nobody else is coming. That's what's happening. The earth is more than ripe. What's that say? It's more, more than ripe. Is that God, he waits just a little bit longer than anybody else would. So here is the internal conflict for God. His mercy has him delay judgment, but his justice and righteousness make it unavoidable. <laughs> The day's got to come. He's got to deal with it. Anybody in here ever had to deal with some stuff? And you wait you wait the last minute, don't you? Because you don't want to deal with it, right? Mark 13, 32 says, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. But what we're saying here is the day's coming. There is a day, that day. This end of the age, the long period when both good and evil were allowed to grow one beside the other. Right now, in our world, good's happening over here and bad's happening over here and they're both going, just going, right? Now, on this day, there will be a separation in preparation for the millennial kingdom to follow. And Jesus describes this in Matthew 13, 47, 50. Before I read that, I'm just going to tell you... When you're reading the Gospel of Matthew, I don't know if you notice in Revelation, I've been quoting it a lot. In fact, I've learned through this series myself that there's a lot of these things I used to didn't understand in Matthew, and now I understand because they have to do with this. Always let the Bible interpret the Bible itself. It comes in context. When you're not understanding it, you just haven't got it yet. It's it's congruent. That's the cool thing about it. Verses 47 through 50, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's where that comes from. And Jesus is the one that says it, by the way. So it comes back to the cross. You remember the scene? Three crosses, one in the center, a Savior, and then two on the outside, criminals. The two guys on the outside, they had to make a choice whether they believed the guy in the middle was innocent. I mean, was he truly the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah? They, by the way, are stuck. Their pinned to the cross, their hours are numbered. They're not into days, weeks, and years. They're going to die real soon. They're stuck. There's nothing they can do to inherit salvation but trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, repenting of their sins, they They do not have the opportunity to get off that cross and go do some good things to get ushered into heaven. They're done. I mean, all they can do is trust in him. Heart decision. Let's fast forward that to today. Everyone on the planet has to make this same decision that those two guys had to make. Do you trust Jesus with your eternal life? Now, one criminal owned his sin and confession, and he trusted in Jesus. One, he just kept the same direction he was going and mocked Jesus and said, no, You know, all the things that he said. He laughed at the very notion that this guy in the middle could save them. Which criminal do you identify with? Well, don't be we calling me a criminal. Oh, well, no, you're guilty of sin. We all are. Jesus' words, you're condemned. You're enemies of God. That is the nature of original sin. So don't come in here with that holier than now and, and look, and by the way, I don't, know, I don't know anybody that does that. Anybody I've ever talked to, you know, everybody knows they've sinned. Everybody knows they've done something wrong. Everybody knows, should know then that they are in need of a Savior to cover that. Those in the first harvest are like the thief on the cross that repented. In desperation, he's got nothing else. He's got nothing, he's got nothing to give. He's got nothing to lose either. By the way, you don't have anything to lose if you turn to Jesus. You've already lost. So in desperation, he turned to Christ for cleansing and forgiveness of sins, and he was saved right there on the spot, right there on the cross. How do we know that? Because Jesus said, right, you'll be today. You'll be with me in paradise. Well, it's good confirmation that Jesus said it, right? In my humble opinion, the problem today is that people are not desperate enough to turn from sin to Christ. They, people don't know how bad they got it or they don't care. We're living for the day, right? But yet the Bible keeps telling us that this end is out there. So those in the first harvest are the wheat. Those in the second harvest, as we'll see in a minute, the grapes of wrath are like the thief who continue to mock Christ. They are the weeds, the tares which are gathered to be destroyed. So here's the question. Which side of the cross are you on? This determines which harvest you'll be part of the harvest is used throughout scriptures to symbolize the final gathering and separation of that which is desirable and productive wheat from that which is useless and for the fire the tears or the chaff the judgment attending the harvest is often represented by the threshing floor where the grain is separated from the outer husk now this isn't new it's prophecy of the coming kingdom of God that has been planted you see, when Jesus sowed these seeds, planted these seeds about the coming kingdom of God, it was already prophesied of. He's just putting the pieces of the puzzle together. So it's not new. It's been taught. This, this day that we're talking about has been coming. And some may even say long overdue, but God says it's right on time. Jeremiah 51, 33. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. The daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor. When it is time to th- when, when it is time, when it's time to thresh her, yet a little while, not yet, and the time of harvest will come, it will come, and it's going to come right on time. It is now the time of the harvest. Mark four twenty nine says, But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. At the harvest, at the end of the age, there are both wheat and tares. The harvest includes a reaping of both and their separation. The wheat is gathered and preserved. The tares are gathered and destroyed. Matthew 13, 26 30, Jesus says, So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. First, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So there are two aspects of the same harvest: a harvest of redemption and a harvest of wrath. I feel weird talking to all you farmers in here about, you know, but you know, just if I said something wrong, you know, that part on me, okay? I'm sticking with what I'm sticking with what Jesus said. All right, what Jesus said. I think he knows a little something, something about something, right? Jesus is associated with the first harvest for good reason. He sowed the good seed. Unlike the second harvest, there is no hint of wrath associated with the first harvest. No, no angel from the altar, no power over fire, no grapes, no trampling, no blood. And then we read in verse 16, So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. So Jesus is the one who reaps the first harvest of the saved. Although he is involved with the first harvest, scripture reveals that angels carry out the details of both harvest. The reaping takes place globally. And he will, it says in Matthew 24, 31, and he will send his angels with a great sound of the trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So it's easy to see this connects with the resurrection of the saved dead prior to the millennial kingdom in Revelation 20. We'll we'll get to. This then is our Lord's return at the end of the tribulation to harvest the bodies of the saints who die during the tribulation so as to reunite them with their souls, which up to this point will have been under the altar before God that we read about in Revelation 6. So people are dying martyrs they've, they've, They're rejecting the mat, uh, mark of the beast. Uh, they're, they're out there sharing the gospel and getting killed over it. And their souls are under that altar. And at this time, he's going to bring those together. The living redeemed will still be on earth. But the bodies of all deceased, deceased saints will have been resurrected and taken to heaven. This addresses the state of all the saved during the tribulation. So uh, some people are not even going to die. Those, Okay, so they won't have to be a part of that. The saints which remain alive at the end of the tribulation participate in the sheep and goat judgment. He's still going to do some gathering and enter the millennial kingdom in their natural bodies. So verse 17 in Revelation 14. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. The next angel comes out of the temple in heaven, indicating that God authorizes the coming judgment. So the angel comes out of the sanctuary where God is at, so we know that he's doing what God told him to do. Jesus taught that the angels would be involved in the final harvest. In Matthew 13, 39 through 43, Jesus said, "And the enemy who sowed them is the devil." He's making it real clear here, right? By the way, everything I, I'm just reading the Bible what it tells, here. I'm, you know, I'm not. This, I'm not making. I hope I'm not. Hope I'm not making this difficult. It just says this stuff right here. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, <laughs> and the reapers are angels. Just as the weed are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man, Jesus' name for himself, will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all, all causes of sin and lawbreak, all who cause sin and lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. And in verse 49, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. Jesus is just telling it like it is. The second angel initiates the gathering of the tares, the removal of the ungodly who are taken. As in the days of Noah, those who are taken are taken in judgment. The eagles, it says, the eagles will be gathered together to feast on the carcasses of the dead, as we'll read about in Revelation 19. So verse 18, and another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called out with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. The mention of the altar takes us back to the opening of the fifth seal, where it says in Revelation 6, 10, and they cry with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth, it looks like the earth dwellers are getting away with it, getting away with murder. God had told those souls crying under the altar, that is the martyrs of the tribulation, that they should rest until the remaining number of their fellow servants will be killed as they were. And that time is up. And this could be the same angel who offered the prayers of of the saints with incense upon the golden altar, which was before the throne in Revelation chapter 8. After offering the prayers, he filled his censer with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth foreshadowing the series of trumpet judgments. Similarly, it was a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, which was resulted in the release of the four angels bound at the Euphrates, bringing the plague of demonic horsemen. It is the prayers of the saints of all times pleading for righteous judgment and vindication by God that gets answered here. Now, some say, and I agree, that this is the baptism of fire spoken of by John the Baptist in his warning to the Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew three eleven and 12. He said, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, Whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. We've often heard of this baptism by fire being connected to Pentecost. Why? Because the tongues of fire. Not so fast. The immediate context. Certainly indicates that to be baptized with fire is the result of judgment. Notice the reference to purging and burning in verse twelve. Other, other than, again, other than the visible tongues of which appeared over the disciples' head at Pentecost, reference to fire burning up unprofitable chaff refer to judgment rather than cleansing. The winnowing fork in verse twelve of Matthew 3 refers to a wooden shovel used for tossing grain in the wind in order to blow away the lighter chaff, leaving the good grain to settle in a pile. The chaff would then be swept up and burned. The unquenchable fire refers to the eternal punishment of the lake of fire in its context. Listen to the prophet Joel in chapter 3. Joel 3, 12 through 14 says, "Let the nations let the nations be wakened. Let the nations be wakened. I think that's an interesting choice of words during our woke society that we live in today. The world needs to wake up and read the Bible. I mean, if you want truth. I mean, if you want truth. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe, Come, go down, for the wine press is full, the vats overflow, for the wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The reason that these vines will be plotted over is that they are wild grapes, like his chosen nation Israel, those on earth had not borne the proper fruit. Is Israel leading us to Jesus? Are they bearing fruit? No. I mean, they're not. And, and a side note, it's interesting that this is called the valley of decision. The guy on the cross, those two guys had to make a decision. You and me, we got to make a decision. You see, God lets people go their own way. Right? I mean, right now, you can leave here and go do what you want. Right? God lets people go Their own way. He lets them have freedom of choice even if they make the wrong choice. He allows evil to produce its fruit, right? Yet, God provides plenty of opportunity for the godless to repent and seek forgiveness and restoration. Today, right now, this morning, this, if you were here this morning and you worship Satan, if you were just like a follower of Satan, I mean, right, I mean, you've just gone the wrong way. Your whole life, right now, this morning, you could repent and turn from that and turn to Jesus. Right now. Right now. Right this second. Valley of time. It's the time of decision. Valley of decision. Whatever you want to call it, you can do that. Furthermore, he allows the depth of sin to have its full development in those who have forever turned their back on redemption. Let me take us back to Genesis for just a second. In Genesis chapter 15, as God had chosen to run the promise seed through Abraham, and Abraham, it says, "Have believed God unto righteousness. God says, man, he believes in me and he's, he's right with me. In the very same vein, in Genesis 15, God told him, he told Abraham that children, your children, down to the fourth generation, will turn from me. They will turn from God. Down to four, one, two, three, four generations are going to turn from God. He said, but they're going to turn back. What does that mean? That means that God put up with a bunch of junk. Right? God... Turn, God put up with a bunch of people saying that he wasn't God. God turn, put up with a bunch of people saying that, that, that he's not uh, God, the creator, uh, that, that he didn't do this, that I can do my own thing. He put up with a lot of people saying all that stuff, and he put up with it through generation after generation after generation, and he got to that fourth generation, he said, they're going to turn back. That speaks a lot more about God than us. Amen. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're here today and you've, you're not generations, you're just you in your generation. You're just you in your lifetime, whether it's 15 years of life, 30 years of life, 60 years of life. You know, you can turn, it can, you can turn to God right now. Do you believe that? But here we are. Even though God's mercy and patience are plentiful, he has to to eventually judge in order to vindicate his own character. Otherwise, it looks like he's letting people get away with stuff. If God doesn't judge sin, then he's not a righteous judge. If somebody just just came and drove a bulldozer right through your house and plowed right through it and tore it up and everything, would you want judgment for them? Of course. Psalm 58, 10 through 11 says, The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that men will say, Surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely he is God who judges in the earth. Romans chapter 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance, it looked like He was letting people get away with sin. Because the other generations, I mean, He hadn't this judgment we're talking about hadn't happened yet. Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The crucifixion of Christ was God paying for the sins of those who would trust in Jesus. The judgment coming in the day of the Lord will be those paying for their own sins because they didn't trust in Jesus' payment for the sin. Think on that right there. Would you rather pay for your sin or would you rather somebody else pay for it? This is the offer that God has made. Because that judgment he talks about, it's in the Bible, it is coming. Because if it weren't coming, then God would not be a holy and righteous God. Because we want people to pay for what they've done to us. Well, people are going to pay for what they've done for God, to God. Verse nineteen. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the great harvest of the earth and threw it in the great wine press of the wrath of God. This is the wine press of the wrath of God. This is the time of the trending, treading of the grapes of wrath. The final firestorm when God wipes out all His enemies at the second coming of Christ. In the last verse, verse 20, and the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's brow for 1,600 stadia, 200 miles. The unclean and accursed things will be disposed of outside the city of Jerusalem. As Hebrews thirteen eleven 11 through 13 says, let me read this. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin and are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus, also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, he suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his approach. Joel 3.13 says, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread for the wine press is full. The vats overflow for their evil is great. That's Old Testament. All this was already written about. The judgment of the nations in Joel 3, 12-14 takes place in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, which traditions link with the Kidron Valley line between Jerusalem and Mount of Olives. Zechariah 14, 1-5 places the final battle on the outskirts of Jerusalem. I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you these places. These are real places because this, this is really something that's going to take place. This is a real judgment. The amount of bloodshed which will befall the enemies of God at the close of the tribulation period is unprecedented. It's bad. The day of the Lord's vengeance results in the standing and the staining of Jesus' garments. We, we see that in Revelation chapter 19. And I read to you Isaiah 63, 1-6, through six, but it's worth reading here again. Who is this who comes from Edom? In in crimson garments from Basra, he who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. And y'all, there's only one that's mighty to save, and his name is Jesus. Why is why is your apparel red and your garments like his, who treads in the winepress? Well, he says, I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained on my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath. I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. This vivid description shows how complete God's judgment is. At the end of Revelation 13, it seemed like Satan and Antichrist might Just have a chance at winning. But this chapter shows that God is in control and Satan doesn't have a chance. Amen. It's time for everyone to reap what they've sown. And we should we should have known what was what when Revelation opened up with fires in his eyes, Jesus. So let's review as we close out. Jesus first came as a baby to a poor couple in an obscure town. Remember that saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He returns with his holy angels to take over the earth. The first time he came in humility as we read about in Philippians chapter 2, he emptied himself of his holiness and all of his glory. He'll return in glory and majesty. He originally came to seek and save the lost, he returns to judge and sentence the lost. So don't stay lost. He goes from sower to reaper. He came in grace. He returns in wrath to set things straight and to make all things new. Revelation is written so that his return does not surprise anyone. No one needs to be confused. Christ is coming. The same Jesus that was rejected and crucified will reign, so let me ask you again, you want fairness? you want justice, so does God. Are you ready? I recommend this: Be on the right side of truth. Be on the right side of the justice. Be on the right side of the cross. For some this morning, you need to take some kind of next step. That might be coming to faith in Christ. Maybe, the, maybe to take a next step of baptism, let others know you've accepted Christ. Or maybe you're doing those things. Maybe you're in a, a D group and you're growing in your faith. In a small group CPR group, and you're you're getting accountability in that group and friendships and relationships. And maybe God's just calling you to. To join up with one of the ministries that our church are involved with you see ministry is messy maybe you need to maybe it's time for you to get your hands dirty now's your time to respond First Thessalonians
0: 2.13 says and we also thank God constantly for this that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. We know that that's what happened this morning. And we hope and we pray that you know that as well, that we didn't speak words of men this morning. We looked at the word of God, the the inspired word of God. And we talked about that. And we know that whenever that happens, whenever people come together and we hear the word of God, God is working in us. He's changing us. And we, we hope that you are ready to take some next steps as a follower of Jesus, maybe a first step as a follower of Jesus. And we've tried to make those next steps easy. So you can either go to our website, livingtruthchurch.com and fill out the connect card, which will have some different options for things that God may be prompting you to do, or you can download our app in the app store, Living Truth Church, and go to the next steps tab in the app. And there's some options with with different things that God may be prompting you to do or pushing you to do, but whatever it is, we pray that you will take that next step as a follower because we we believe that if we're coming together and we're hearing God's word and He's trying to to mold us and to look more like Him— then if we leave here unchanged, we've wasted our time. We, we know that if God's word is proclaimed, we should be different. And so we hope that you'll take those next steps, and we would love to come alongside you as you take those steps. Um, right now, I just ask that you'll join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have together to look at your word, and, and we thank you for your presence. God, I pray that you'll move in the hearts and lives of every person that's engaging with us this morning online. We pray that they'll leave here different than when they got here. God, we know that it's only you that can do that. God, and so we ask you to do what only you can do. We love you. In your name we pray, amen. Y'all have a great week.